Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. I would say the battle cry is going to be pay attention. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure today to welcome Mark Sigorski, a good friend and a partner, I'm happy to add. Mark is the CEO of Double Verify, but more importantly, a good friend and as well, a very seasoned executive with decades. And it's funny to say that because there's only about two decades where I could use these words in the same sentence and say digital marketing and ad tech. And I'm happy to say in full disclosure to our listeners, Mark, as an, as an investor in, in Double Verify, a happy one and, and, and certainly pleased to welcome you uh, to good company. So welcome. Awesome. Well, it's, it's great to be here. And, and, and I don't know if I appreciate very seasoned as being stressed. Is, is that a good thing or, or, or at this point in my life? I don't know. Well, you know, when I introduce someone I've known for a bit, I used to say old friend. Now I say long time friend. So I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting more sensitive as well. Trust me. Yeah. I mean, look, it has been, you say decades. I mean, I've been doing this digital stuff for 25 years now, which sounds insane. 1997 was my first digital job. Mark, I, I tell a story occasionally about the first panel that I participated on, not as a moderator, but as a panelist. And I was seated next to a young lady at the time named Wenda Harris Millard. And uh, those of you who know, Wenda went on to become my partner at MediaLink uh, for many, many years. But we were on a panel together in the mid-90s, and she was seated next to me. And she had her name card, as one does on a panel, and it said, Wenda Harris Millard, double-click. And I cupped my hand literally over the microphone and said, excuse me, what's a double click? And that was about 1996 or 1997. So there you go. Well, well, well interestingly enough, my first digital job was in this at the agency that double clip. Poppy Tyson. Merged out of, yeah. Bozell Interactive. And they were all held by the same holding group, right? Right. They were right upstairs. Double Click was in some little office upstairs from us at Poppy Tyson. And uh, we were downstairs. We thought they were the weird technical guys. And- but Mark, that's an interesting question to start with. You know, what we've seen and what MediaLink has participated in over the years is kind of the morphing of the people with the pocket protectors uh, to to join forces with the people with the pocket square, as I used to say, because the weird tech people are the people who actually uh, ended up, as somebody said, the madmen were replaced by the math men. The math people kind of went to the top of the class. No, it's an interesting. It's an interesting observation because I always wanted to be one of like the cool entertainment creative guys. But I was really just a dork inside. <laughs> and that's why I got into digital because it gave me the opportunity to like, hey, this is where entertainment and media and all these things are going. And I actually have something to contribute here. See, and I was on the other side, Mark. I was the cool guy. I wanted to be the dork. You know, I was, <laughs> we should have met up then. But Mark, yeah. it, you know, it, it's it's a great segue to 
Kind of what attracted you about Double Verify? Because you made the move. Double Verify had been established quite some time before you joined, yeah. but you you joined at a critical time and and an interesting time, as as you know as you know better than I. You know, it, I want to say the rest is history, but Double Verify is clearly one of those stories of a tech startup that actually made it to the other side in a very very meaningful way under your tutelage. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, DV was certainly unique in, in where I've been in my career. I've always, well, at least the last few roles I've been brought in to kind of fix broken children. And this was the first time that I was actually brought in to take something that was an incredible success and, and help make it even a bigger success, which is was really attractive to me. But But probably more attractive than that was the fact that it was right at the crux of the transformation of what was going on and what continues to go on with media measurement and the drive towards determining and driving outcomes, right? As we see traditional media metrics fall apart, other things like media quality, brand safety, attention, all those become bigger and bigger, play a bigger role of, you know, what advertisers are looking for to help them figure out what's working and what's not. And DV was kind of right, it's right there, we're right at the, at the, at the key point of helping make those uh, decisions for advertisers. So that was super attractive for me. You know, Mark, I, I've subscribed for a long time to the definition of luck as the intersection of preparation and opportunity. You've had great success, whether it was Talaria or Double Verify, and, you know, in both cases. But, you know, if I look at it as a combined basis, you've created, you know, somewhere north of six or seven billion dollars in shareholder value in two different circumstances. What was it that told you that was the right moment, kind of striking while the iron is hot in the double verify case? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's great. I, I will start with what you said, which is luck can never, ne- never downplay the importance of luck and timing. Right. And I'll, I'll, and maybe I'll, I'll convert luck to timing, right? Because there's a lot of great businesses and a lot of great opportunities that were out there just at the wrong time. Right. Um, this came up at the right time as well. But I think, you know, all of those companies, whether it was Exalate, which was my first exit to, to Nielsen for a couple hundred million dollars. Um, Forgot about that one. Gloria <laughs> to Rubicon merger to this one. They've all kind of built on each other. So at Exalate, I really learned, you know, how data was transforming things. And when I sold that to Nielsen, while I was at Nielsen for a couple of years, I saw what was going on with TV and video and that and CTV really, and where the gaps were, not only just in measurement, but how it was being sold. And that's when I saw the Talaria opportunity. And so it built off what I found at Nielsen. And when I was at Talaria, I saw, you know, a lot of the challenges, not just around measurement, but around fraud and viewability and all the things that were happening in the CTV world that had happened to banner ads 10 years before, right? People were stealing money from banner ads. Now they're stealing money from $40 CTV ads. People weren't viewing banner ads. And the same thing we see now is CTV ads are not viewable because the set's off, right? So Every one of those roles kind of built on the previous one, something I learned from the one before. So it really has been a sense of incrementality over time. And, and luckily, you know, the value of those businesses has incrementally grown too. It went from a $200 million exit to, you know, a, a Rubicon Talaria merger that was over a billion now worth a couple billion to the DV IPO, which is, you know, upwards of four and a half, $5 billion. So they've all built on each other. 
Well, back to what I said at the outset, my children and grandchildren, thank you uh, for that. <laughs> um, trust me. Um, Mark, years ago, I was doing a panel in the industry, and I said that year to Rose Ryan, who was one of the leaders back in the day of J. Walter Thompson, and I said, okay, so as the fashionistas would say, this year brown is the new black or gray is the new black, and I said, dad is the new black, and this was years ago. If, if I was right then, I could double down on that now and say, there's no conversation that we have in our industry that doesn't pivot on words that begin with the letter T, okay? And let me just throw this out to you. It's not a question in a traditional sense, but it's a statement. And what I've said is the following words are the pivots in our industry. Trust, transparency, technology, talent, and transformation. And it's just a luck of the draw that I'm a, I'm a wordsmith occasionally. I was an English major, and I focused on the fact that we don't have a conversation at MediaLink with anybody, any person in the ecosystem where those five words are not front and center. Trust, transparency, technology, transformation, and talent. You fall right in the center of that. So I'm throwing it out for you to riff a oh. bit on those five words and how Double Verify plays in that world. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the, the first two of those are the the cornerstone of why we exist, which is driving greater trust and transparency, right? In the in the advertising ecosystem, you know, our solution. I, I always use this analogy is how the digital world has changed the way advertising is bought and sold, not just programmatically, but you know, think of the analogy of you used to go to your corner store, right? You know, and you'd hand the guy 10 bucks when you bought something and he knew you and you knew them and you knew if the product wasn't good, right? You could return it and he knew your money was always good, right? There was this connection. There was transparency and trust. Now look at the way media is. And that used to be like TV too. You knew the guy who you bought TV from. You knew the yeah. guy you bought radio from, right? Now look at the way digital media is bought and sold. By the way, it used to be me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used exactly. to be the buyer. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, now, now look at, you know, in the same way you know, you don't go to a corner store anymore. You go to a big box store. They have no idea who you are. You have no idea who's on the other side. They need a system of trust between a buyer and seller. So who emerged? Credit card companies, transaction protection companies, right? There is a way to protect that transaction. DV plays that same role in a digital world where buyers and sellers have no idea who the other is. They have no idea whether the quality of the media is what they expect it to be. Um, you're no longer buying four television networks. You're buying 400 CTV channels or 40,000 websites or 4 million individuals across a social media network, right? So all of those mean that any tools that can drive transparency and trust are, are going to be essential in, in ensuring that there's an ecosystem that's stable, right? You know, without those two things, ecosystems fall apart. And we see this all the time when, when there's a lack of trust between a buyer and a social network because reporting has been misaligned or billing has been, you know, there's been overbilled. Like those things erode uh, trust over time. So I think where we fit in is really trying to ensure that there's trust between buyers and sellers, there's greater transparency in that transaction. We do so through technology, right? And, you know, to, 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 to nail your final tease, uh, you know, we, we can't build the technology unless we have incredibly talented people, 
which we pull from all over the place. And part of this is, is transformation. And look, DV as a company, I've been only been here for a couple of years and I've been lucky enough to be part of an organization that's been around for over a decade. That was, you know, it's not an overnight transformation. You know, you no. didn't get people to believe in fraud or viewability as real metrics overnight. It takes time. So I would say transformation has occurred. DV has been part of that, but it has been a, you know, it has been a process. But back to the conversation of, you know, mad people and math people, um, sure. you know, my joke taking the mad men, you know, analogy further you know, the media guy wore a bow tie and was downstairs in the basement with a, an abacus figuring out cost per points. And Don Draper was out having three martini lunches, uh, you know, and, and how did we transfer that? But it's exactly what happened. And, sure. and, you know, the center of the gravity, the gravitational pull went to the center of where you live. Uh, and, and, and you did get to be the cool guy. Uh, or, you know, the cool kids, but... Um, right. tell, tell that to my kids. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, Mark, could you chat a bit about uh, the, the recent acquisition of, of, of OpenSlate and, and talk about kind of the why and, you know, knowing the importance of contextual targeting, love to understand from, from an M&A perspective, but really from a corporate development, you know, kind of why and what uh, was that acquisition, uh, you know, focused on? Yeah. I mean, OpenSlate was really a continuation of what we had already started building out, which is the idea of not only measuring quality and brand safety and suitability after someone buys an impression and blocking it before it gets delivered, but keeping them from making those bad decisions to begin with. Right. And we do that in the programmatic world. So, you know, via platforms like Google and the trade desk and dozens of others, we're able to implement our metrics into those programmatic platforms and, and basically keep people from bidding on bad impressions. What we didn't have was a solution to keep them from buying bad impressions on non-programmatic media. So YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, other social platforms. And basically that's what OpenSlate provided with us. So it took that idea of pre-bid filtering that we do in programmatic and moved it into direct buying environments. So it seamlessly fits with our narrative of connecting pre and post of single metrics across pre and post, but also expanding and having a single metric across social, connected television, video, programmatic, you know, mobile, all different places where people buy. So it fit in really nicely. There were zero redundancies of solutions. It plays nicely with our client set. And, you know, ultimately, and we've told this to investors, you know, we look at companies like OpenSlate as point solutions, right? They, they, right? they do one thing and they do one thing really well. But at the end of the day, you work with, you know, hundreds of advertisers at MediaLink, right? And the last thing they want is 50 different providers of 50 solutions. They want a single solution that can provide them with quality metrics, targeting, and, you know, filtering capabilities that are consistent so they can use that everywhere they go, right? They don't want one solution for Facebook and one solution for YouTube and one solution for programmatic. They want one platform where they can put their metrics in, measure and target across all of them. So OpenSlate just gives us another arrow in our quiver to go out to the big brands and say, look, complete solution, pre and post, 
across all different platforms. It's so interesting, Mark, um, you say that. Years ago, I had Wendy Clark now running Dentsu, but was when she was the president of Sparkling Beverages at Coca-Cola, I had her come speak to a MediaLink offsite. And you know our model in the emerging media space where we will go on behalf of companies like Double Verify and make the opportunity you know a little more robust to get in the right conversations and and Wendy would always be somebody who would take those meetings when I would ask her to do it and she in the context of that said to our team the industry is searching for end-to-end solutions point solutions are interesting but end-to-end solutions are what we should all be striving for and you you just nailed it I mean that, that gives a different gives a different flavor because you're you're giving an end-to-end solution to people who are desperate for it now as the math people uh, you know are front and center well it's you know it's it's a typical software evolution if you you know and that's what we are we're software right if you look at whether it's CRM tools or marketing automation tools it goes from a series of point solutions to salesforce right you know i want to control the customer relationship cycle from beginning to end in one platform and they want to do that you know, end to end in every market. And that's the other thing too, is you, you know, you need to be a global business and DV continues to expand, expand around the world. You know, 20% of our revenues outside of the Americas today, over 50% of our investments last year in headcount um, were outside of the Americas. So, you know, it is end to end everywhere. And I think that's what advertisers want and that's where we're headed. Well, it, it, and doing a great job of it. Mark, I want to switch gears for a second. The death of the cookie, lots of noise, lots of talk, lots of impact. Every year there's a new you know, battle cry. Is there one you see for 2022 that you would, if you, if you were Lion King, uh, what, would, what would the battle cry for you be uh, in 2022? It's, it's, a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think to be a bit self-serving, but I think it's, it's valid. I would say the battle cry is going to be pay attention. And by that saying that the world is moving beyond reach and frequency as a measurement tool for driving outcomes and attention is going to become something that advertisers are going to look to as as important as any other metric that they do in measuring their dollars spent on any media and the outcome that gets out of it. So I think this is really going to be the year of attention. You're going to hear a lot more about it as a metric because it's great if you reach a certain demographic, but if they're not engaged in paying attention to your ad, they're not going to go out and buy anything. So no, I think, I think, I think that's great because, you know, time and attention are the two most valuable commodities when you think about it both from a marketer's perspective, but as well just from a life perspective. There's a lot of things I'm okay if you waste, but my time is not one of them. Uh, and, and that's, you know. Both finite, right? Time is finite and attention continues to be sliced thinner and thinner and thinner as media fragmentation occurs, right? Uh, no one sits in front of their TV now without their phone and their iPad sitting right next to them, right? Absolutely. So, so I think that the ability to gauge what is actually going on in that living room is going to become a bigger and bigger deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you know it, it, it's so funny because when you talked about, you know, the, the go back to the cool kids, you know, I've, I've said this to several network heads, uh, you know, people who had that proverbial green light uh, in Hollywood that you could say yes or no to that content being made, that TV show, that movie. I said to a few of them over the years, now that you don't have to rely so much on your gut, 
do you? Because you can rely on the data. You know, we, 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 we know what, what Mark Zagorski is going to like. We, we know that. We have the ability to be, you know, predictive in a way we never did. But when you're a programmer, and I mean not a, a computer programmer, but a content programmer, do you just go with what you feel? Or, and these, I'm not asking you, but I've asked this question. Do you just go with what you feel or, do you, or, or does the data influence it? And, you know, the, the right answer has always been it's both. I still go with my gut, but my gut is influenced by the data. It, yep. It's the same thing. I mean, it's just, it, it's fun to watch it happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, data plays a role in everything, but, you know, whether it's advertising or content, there's, you know, the one unmeasurable factor in many ways is the creative, right? And what will that inspire in a human being and what does it make them want to do? So I, there's always art involved in anything. And I would never get to a point where I'd say, hey, the data that we produce will you know, absolutely guarantee an outcome. It will get you closer, but there, you know, at the end of the day, it's what you're saying and whether people believe it. And I think a lot of times that's measurable afterwards, but it's driven by the gut you know, beforehand. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Uh, and I've, this is an old standby for me that I can pull out of the hat at a moment's notice, and I'm about to do that. But years ago, we did an ad week panel conversation, advertising week, on the loss of serendipity in, in marketing. And the point was, you know, we're all struggling for the right device, the right time, the right context, the right person, the right message. But we also have to bear in mind we are in the marketing business, and sometimes it's serendipity. You know, again, I use this example all the time, but the auto manufacturer always wanted to find somebody who was, quote, in market for a car. But there are times when somebody isn't in market, but the right message might put them in market and might put them in the frame of mind. So I always say you can't lose sight of what the core of our business is, which is about storytelling and and serendipity on occasion, getting somebody who wasn't thinking of vacation all of a sudden sees an ad and goes, you know what, I do want to go on a vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that is, can't be underplayed in advertising and can't be underplayed in content either. I mean, look, look at, look at the, the success of, of Tiger King, right. As something that I'm sure no one would have ever gone through any market research or data driven uh, exercise to say that would be successful. Right. Yeah. And it was, cause it was the time and the zeitgeist that was going on at that period. But you know, the follow-ups have been eh, like it hasn't had the same experience. So like, Sometimes you just catch lightning in a bottle and it works. Sometimes you catch someone because they're just going to buy something. So you can analyze to death, but you're never, as you said, you're never going to, you're always going to leave something on the table. If yeah, you just, no, it's, but, but look, you know, I, I think a great place to kind of draw our conversation because Mark, I could spend, you know, five hours talking, I could spend, you know, five <laughs> days talking to you because I could learn so much and our audience could, but I think, you know, part of what the double verify story is, and you said it earlier, it's to kind of make sure not post what you've done, but in advance of what you've done as a marketer to be making the right decisions and to be, you know, going in the right direction. And, you know, my, my, my appreciation is for your time and attention to spend the time on good company and, and chat and light it up for our listeners. No, it's been great. So uh, listen, I appreciate it. It's been an awesome conversation. So many great insights uh, on, on, on your side, Michael. So appreciate the time. You awesome. got it. 
Mark Zagorski, I want to thank you for joining Good Company. And uh, I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing you around campus as we, as we get back more in person. Absolutely. I'm Michael Kasson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 